When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and in this episode, no surprise, we will be talking about the pit football win against Tennessee. It was a huge win. The Panthers got it done. They went down to Neyland Stadium, and they got a statement win in front of tens of thousands of Vols fans and uh, on national TV, no less. So a huge win for Pitt, and so, of course, that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. So the first thing that I want to talk about is the fairly miraculous feat that Pitt didn't pit. Pitt playing on the road against Tennessee, nationally televised game, huge opportunity for the Panthers to get a statement win, to beat an SEC team, and for a while it was looking like they were going to collapse. Down the stretch, it really looked like Pitt was going to blow it and blow the opportunity and blow the game. And but in the fourth quarter, it got to 41 to 34. And then Pitt got the ball back. They punted. It was a uh, a three and out. They didn't waste any they didn't I should say wait. They didn't burn any time off the clock and they punted back to Tennessee. And so at this point, Pitt fans well aware of the script, Pitt gives the ball away up a touchdown to the other team, it's over. The other team's going to score, tie the game, and then eventually win it somehow. Well, they came close. Tennessee made it exceptionally close to the goal line. They made it all the way to the three-yard line. The three-yard line. They were three yards away from tying the game up in the fourth quarter. And the defense stopped them. The defense had a huge stand. It was fourth and one. And the defense got the stop. And they forced the turnover on downs. It was an absolutely huge play for the defense. Then, the next possession. Pitt gets the ball after the turnover on downs. And again, it's a three and out. And so just after everyone everyone thought, okay, Pitt is going, this is going to be pitting. And Tennessee is going to, they're at the three-yard line. They're going to score a touchdown. That'll tie the game. And then they don't pit, and the defense steps up. And then the offense gets it back, and it's a quick three and out. And all of a sudden, it's back to, okay, here comes the pitting. It's a little bit delayed, but yeah, of course, you burn no time off the clock. You send it back to Tennessee. They're going to score here. They're going to find a way to win. Well, Tennessee gets the ball back, and on the second play, and they were 
you know, fairly close. They were at the in, in Pitt's territory. They were at the 34. And on the second down, they throw an interception. Tennessee throws an interception. And it, just a monstrous interception and sorely needed from Brandon Hill and the Pitt defense. And then from there, you might think, okay, Pitt has the ball, but they're still almost five minutes left. They just had back-to-back three and outs, so they'll have another three and out and punt it to Tennessee, and then Tennessee will score, and this will go to overtime, and, and the balls will win. Well, the run game, which didn't exist, and we'll talk about that more in a second, but the run game that barely existed for the entirety of the football game, and on first down, it was just a one-yard gain, and then all of a sudden, a six-yard gain, and then on third and three... One of the biggest plays of the game, Vincent Davis, who's been solid but not exceptional, third and three, got a six-yard gain and got the first down. And then in the next set of downs, Pitt quickly got another first down. And then they were able to ice the game from there. They were able to kneel. And so there were so many opportunities that Pitt could have thrown this game away. And they just didn't do it. They managed to come up with good plays at the right time. And they held on to that win. Some A, a huge defensive stop, a huge interception, and then moving the, change twice with the uh, chains twice with the running game in the final minutes. Just absolutely gigantic clutch moments from this team that people don't expect from the Panthers. And so the pitting never happened. It's so rare, but the pitting didn't happen. And the Panthers were able to defeat Tennessee on the road. And it makes you wonder, is there something changing? Is something changing in this program, with this coaching staff, with the group of players they assembled, where pitting is not a foregone conclusion? Because obviously there have been frustrations in the Pat Narduzzi era, but the the pitting, it's been there, it's definitely been there, but not like it used to be, not like we've seen it under other head coaches, not like we've seen it either in other sports. Uh, this is a team that for the most part wins the games that they're supposed to win, for the most part, there were some exceptions last year. And they don't come through pathetically in the final moments. Again, some exceptions. Some exceptions last year. Even some exceptions in this game when it really looked like they were going to blow it. But at the end of the day, they managed to hold on. And you just wonder. I'm not saying the pitting is dead because it'll never die. It's immortal. But is something changing where it's not a foregone conclusion? It feels like that might be the case. Because in this game, everyone who has watched Pitt for a long time thought they knew exactly what was going to happen. And it didn't happen. The Panthers were able to hold on. The pitting didn't happen. And so you wonder if something has changed in this program. Whether it's confidence, whether it's just pure personnel, whether it's just a talent thing. Uh, psychological, I have no clue. But you wonder if something has changed to where this team, this program, it doesn't collapse, and they don't 
feel that weight of an impending collapse that so often it feels like Pitt has had. Like, everyone knows what's coming, including the players and the team, and then it happens. That feels like it's not the case so much anymore. And that could be a huge culture shift within the Pitt football program, and that could be a big reason why they were able to hold on and beat Tennessee and get that statement win. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. I mean, this could be completely pointless by next week's time. They could go out there against uh, Western Michigan and blow it and lose the game, and all of a sudden Pitting's back and everyone's calling for everyone to be fired. That could definitely happen. But it does feel like there's something there where pitting isn't a foregone conclusion. It still happens. It's never going away, but it's not a foregone conclusion. And that would be absolutely gigantic for this program. Now, I want to talk about some of the individual players and some of the individual units. I'll start with Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett was absolutely phenomenal. I don't know if that was the best game of his career, but in fact, I'll just say right now it was not. But it was maybe the most impressive, certainly way up there. Because Kenny Pickett, in that game, in a hostile environment, and I said this after week one, looked so calm and so composed and looked like a leader. Looked like a leader of a team who knew what he had to do and just had to get it done. That's what he looked like. It looked like he knew exactly what had to be done knew the personnel, knew that if he had to do it, he was just going to do it. And he was able to get it done for the Panthers. There was one thing I was saying on Twitter, and you can follow me at Corey E. Cohen on Twitter, which is that Kenny Pickett this season really feels like a boy has become a man. It feels like a bar mitzvah. And in, in Judaism when a boy turns 13 or approximately he has a bar mitzvah and where he reads from the Torah for the first time and leads a service and and does a mitzvah project a good deed and and all that stuff and essentially the whole point is to say this is a man this is no longer a boy this is a man and that's what it feels like with Kenny Pickett there have been some glimpses of that in the past hell the first time that he burst onto the scene when he led the Panthers to beat number two Miami there were obviously glimpses there that yeah this is this is a man this is a leader but it hasn't felt so consistent and just so lived in and almost promised like it does so far this season and it's only two games and I get that one of them was against UMass but even you know Kenny Pickett would have some great games the last few years but it never felt it always felt like he would have a great drive here and there uh, because there were a hundred percent some amazing drives from Kenny Pickett where you saw that from him you saw him be a man be that leader uh, I'm thinking when he led the, the team against Duke I'm thinking the UCF game when he pulled that upset there have, there have definitely been moments but so far this season it just feels like that's just who he is that this player, who we all sort of first saw as a boy 
coming to this program, now really in his, his fifth year, he's a man. He is a leader of men. And that's really huge. And and so it's it's something else to see this player who you've seen so young and to grow in the program and to mature over time and get better over time. And now you see him with all the confidence in the world and deserved confidence go out there and lead this team and do what has to be done. Not make stupid mistakes, not rely too much on you know, big-time plays or you know big-time receiver. Big time. He just does what he has to do. And that's a huge step up. And I said this on the podcast last week. If you have that in a quarterback, if you can keep that, and if your quarterback is someone who uh, is really comfortable and confident, and if you can rely on that quarterback and just feel good about it and know that he feels good about things, that is an invaluable asset to have in college football. And so far, it looks like Pitt has it because Kenny Pickett looked great, and it really looks like the boys become a man. Now, there ha- there was some help. The uh, the receivers look good. Taysier Mack had a great day. Taysier Mack looked really, really good. Jordan Addison, again, with some big-time plays. He looks good. Jared Wayne, we'll talk about uh, his big play in a second. Uh, he was good. And then Lucas Kroll, the tight end. Again, it's looking early, but it's looking like Pitt finally has a reliable tight end, someone they can count on, someone that Kenny Pickett can count on. And that would be huge for this program. So the receivers looked really good, and of course, Kenny Pickett looked great. Now, not always great. The running game, still not looking so good. Uh, the running game, they're, they're still trying to figure out who their lead back is. They went with Vincent Davis as a starter, and then they went with uh, Vincent Davis on one of that those last drives, or in that last drive, to get a first down, and he did. But for the rest of the game, there wasn't much there. He had 19 carries, just 29 yards. That's a yard and a half per carry. He did get a touchdown. But overall, Vincent Davis looks fine, but not like a great lead back. Then you've got Israel Abanaconda, who had 12 carries for 43 yards. That's 3.6 yards per carry. Better. Not ideal, but better. Uh, and uh, those those were the, the only two running backs in the game. But you wonder, and then, of course, there's the offensive line and run blocking and all that, which didn't look great because the run game just couldn't get a ton going. It seems like Israel Abanaconda is the best running back, but I'm certain that it helps to have a player like Vincent Davis, a veteran like Vincent Davis, who you feel like you can count on uh, and rely upon. Who's you know a little bit older, so it seems like it's probably going to move forward as a duo of Vincent Davis and Israel Abanaconda. But regardless of who it is, the running game just has not established itself yet, and so that's still a problem. That's still a problem. And then one more thing about the game on the offensive side: the play calling. Now, little mixture in this one, and there's no hot take because nothing was all good. Like. Often, nothing's all good, nothing's all bad. Mark Whipple, at points in this game, was frustrating, as he has been for a few years. There were times when they would run the ball that it just made no sense to run the ball because the running game was not there. Now, it's not necessarily his fault, or at least not all his fault that the running game wasn't there. 
But if you're the offensive coordinator, at a certain point, you have to look at that, acknowledge it, and then move forward uh, and say, okay, we don't have a running game, so we're not going to keep going to to a running game. It's the definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So there is some fault there that he seemed to rely maybe a little too much on the running game. That said, there were some big-time plays for Mark Whipple, some creative plays. And of course, the one I'm going to be talking about is the trick play that sent it back to Jared Wayne, the wide receiver, who then was able to throw it into the end zone and get the touchdown uh, to Lucas Kroll. That was a huge, huge, huge play. Uh, It shocked just about everyone. It was in the second quarter. It was the second touchdown of the game for Pitt. And it really electrified this team. They went went on to have a monstrous second quarter. They scored 27 points, and that second quarter is how they won. So a play call like that is gutsy, it's creative, and that's what Pitt fans want to see from Mark Whipple. The best season that this offense had was the season when Matt Canada was the offensive coordinator, and they were creative that year. They were incredibly creative, and of course, they had the talent. We all know they had certain players that maybe you can't uh, rely upon in the same way now, but it was creative, and it kept defenses on their toes. And we haven't seen that much from Mark Whipple, but you got to give him credit. That play was absolutely huge. It was an excellent play call, really well designed. Uh, the offense ran it to perfection, and uh, and they got the touchdown out of it. So just a, an interesting day for Mark Whipple, but I think he earned a lot of goodwill, or that, that hot seat may have cooled down a little bit just from that one play alone because it, it really was an exciting play and a successful play. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a second to talk about the defense and then the Panthers moving forward from this win. You're listening to Unscripted. Okay, we are back here on Unscripted. I want to talk about the defense for a bit. The defense came up big. Now, you allow 34 points to Tennessee. Not ideal, but the defense still came up big. And I'll actually specify. I'll break it down. The front seven was huge. And then there was a, a big-time play and a good day for one uh, Brandon Hill. But for the most part, it was the uh, front seven who were able to get after the quarterback and cause pressure. Now, this is the Pat Narduzzi strategy, the defensive strategy. It is to have a front seven that really pressures a quarterback to where the secondary, yeah, the the quarterback gets rid of it, and there could be a big play. But you really try to go and get a sack, even if you might give up uh, a successful throw from the opposing team. So there were some problems there. There were some big throws from Tennessee, and it, it can become a little bit of a problem. In fact, early in the game, when Joe Milton was quarterback for Tennessee, if he had been more accurate, if he had been a fairly accurate quarterback, that game could have gotten away from the Panthers. It could have gotten really ugly. They were just lucky that he kept overthrowing his receivers who were wide open. But the strategy is to get after the quarterback, force the QB to get rid of it quickly, and hope that he's off target and that he can't find his receivers. That happened with Joe Milton. Didn't happen as much with Hendon Hooker, the transfer to Tennessee, who had a big day with 190 yards, two touchdowns, but then, of course, the one interception. So 
sort of a mixed day for the defense. I think there are questions about the defensive backs and maybe about the entire system, about if you are a little bit too risky and if you're relying too much on the defensive backs to be able to stop big plays when they, for the most part, haven't shown that you can rely on them to do that. We'll have to look at that going forward. Uh, but certainly some some big-time plays and just some great performances from a lot of the defense um, certainly some of the players, I mentioned Brandon Hill, he had that huge clutch interception in the fourth quarter that almost iced the game or allowed the Panthers to ice the game. And then, uh, he also had seven tackles on top of that. Like I said, the defense came up big, uh, on that, uh, fourth down and one, they got the stop. Um, Keyshawn Camp had a big day. He had a forced fumble. Um, Haba Baldonado, the Italian, he had a big day. He had a forced fumble, and he had two sacks. So the, the front seven, they got after the quarterback. They put the pressure on, and when it mattered the most, they got two huge plays. They got the stop on fourth and one, and they got the interception. And so they did what needed to be done. But, of course, there are some questions moving forward about the defense, allowing 34 points to Tennessee, allowing some of those really big plays, you're going to have to keep an eye on that because if you're allowing 40-yard bombs more than maybe once a game, it becomes an issue. And we'll have to see if that's becoming an issue if they start allowing more of that. One thing about this win, this was a statement win. This was a win, I said it at the top, this was in front of a national audience, this was a chance to beat an SEC team, the SEC, which is now, you know, puffing its chest and and scooping up teams, and you know, some are saying, "Oh, is the NCAA gonna go obsolete and it's just gonna be the SEC and they're gonna be?" So the SEC has been in a great spot, and they are the best football conference of the bunch. But Pitt had a chance to go in on the road in the South, where football matters so much, to a packed stadium, Neyland Stadium and get a huge victory. And they did it. They did it in front of a national audience. They did it in front of fans who traveled down, as well as the pit band and pit cheerleaders. They did it. And this was a statement win. They proved themselves to a whole lot of people that even in tough games, they find a way to win. And it might get nerve-wracking, and it's not going to be easy, but in tough games, at least ones that they should win, that they will find a way to win. And that's a big-time statement from this team and from this program. And now they've got a huge opportunity. I mentioned it in last week's episode. They've got an opportunity to go undefeated in the non-conference because the next two opponents are Western Michigan and New Hampshire at home. There is no excuse for Pitt to lose to either of those teams. They could. It's Pitt. We've seen crazier. But there's no excuse to lose to either of those teams. They're certainly heavy favorites in both. So if you can beat those two, you start the season undefeated, you go undefeated in the non-conference, which Pat Narduzzi has not done. It hasn't happened in so many moons. And you really prove yourself. And then I mentioned again last week that the fifth game of the season is against Georgia Tech, a team that looks pretty bad. So you can go undefeated in the non-conference, start 4-0, then beat Georgia Tech as they should, start 5-0, and then you have a gigantic game against Virginia Tech coming up the week after. That could be a huge, absolutely huge 
uh, moment for this program, a moment that a lot of people would be paying attention to. I haven't looked at that week yet, but if Virginia Tech uh, continues to win, if Pitt continues to win, it's possible, and it's early, but it's, it's possible that that could be a game that is a primetime game. Uh, maybe college game day or something like that. That could be a really special moment for this program. Now, there's an uphill battle because uh, Virginia Tech has West Virginia on the road coming up this weekend. Not going to be easy. And then the week before they play the Panthers, they've got Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't look great this year. Uh, They barely beat Florida State, and then Florida State lost to Jacksonville State, uh, and then Notre Dame barely beat Toledo. So... That's a winnable game for Virginia Tech. But on Pitt's end, I mean, ultimately, whatever Virginia Tech goes into that game, it's out of your control. Now, of course, if Virginia Tech is ranked and and doing really well and undefeated, then they're going to bring more eyeballs to that game. It's going to be a bigger deal. But ultimately, it's imperative for the Panthers to enter that game 5-0. and There's no excuse why they shouldn't. The one possible excuse was losing on the road at Neyland Stadium, but they got it done. So because they got it done... There is no reason why they should lose against Western Michigan or New Hampshire or Georgia Tech. They've got to get it done. They've got to start 5-0. and And they've got to have a huge game coming up against Virginia Tech uh, in Blacksburg. That's just what they have to do. And they should do it. There's no reason to expect that they shouldn't or that they won't. So we'll see. If, if they don't start 5-0... and Oof, people are going to be angry, including an episode of this podcast. If they don't start 5-0, and there's going to be a very frustrated episode of this podcast. But they have every opening to start 5-0. and And that would be just huge. Huge for this program to start 5-0 and and then have a marquee matchup against Virginia Tech. That would be monumental. Before we go, Panther of the Week. Uh, it was a huge weekend uh, for the Panthers. I believe they went 7-0 and uh, over all competitions. I mentioned last week some of the upcoming games uh, that, that weekend that the Panthers were going to have. It was a huge weekend. Uh, they had Pitt Volleyball played three matches, including a huge one against BYU, ranked BYU, and they won. Pitt, one of the top teams in the nation. Uh, sorry, Pitt, i got to specify. Pitt Volleyball, one of the top teams in the nation, uh, they are still undefeated and uh, still ranked in the top five. Uh, Pitt Women's Soccer. Pitt Women's Soccer is ranked, and they got a huge victory uh, on senior day over Towson. That was a big-time performance. Uh, Pitt Men's Soccer. Pitt Men's Soccer, they did uh, lose a couple of games to uh, start the season, or I should say early in the season. They, But they played North Carolina over the weekend, the Tar Heels, a phenomenal soccer program if you're new to college soccer. Great soccer program, men's and women's. UNC ranked number four in the country, and Pitt defeated them. And they didn't just defeat them, they crushed them. It was a 4 nothing result. Pitt men's soccer defeated UNC 4-0. That is absolutely huge, and a continual winning streak going of 13 straight wins at home. For the Pitt men's soccer team. That is gigantic. So you had a, a big win for Pitt Volleyball over ranked BYU. You had a big win for Pitt women's soccer. 
you, a big win for Pitt men's soccer. Pitt volleyball won two more matches on top of that. And then, of course, Pitt football. The Panthers, as a program, went 7-0. and It's a phenomenal start for all Pitt Panthers teams. Pitt men's soccer, Pitt women's soccer, Pitt volleyball, and Pitt football. You could barely ask for a better start. All these programs deserve your support. And uh, definitely, you know, keep following them. Keep paying attention. We, you know, at Cardiac Hill, we do our best to cover them. So it, it was just a huge weekend. Uh, part of me wants to give Panther of the Week to Kenny Pickett because he had a huge game. And like I said earlier in this podcast, it really felt like the boy became a man. But I'm going to go to Heather Like and the Pitt Athletics Department to go 7-0 and in a weekend. To have three of those four teams ranked in Pitt Volleyball, Pitt Men's Soccer, Pitt Women's Soccer, and then Pitt Football now receiving votes in their rankings, and certainly a chance to move up to the top 25, that's huge. So few schools can do that. So very few schools can do that, where you've got all four of those sports all being ranked at once, and that is a realistic possibility for Pitt Athletics. So, yeah, you absolutely have to say the athletic department, Heather Like, just everyone involved, they get Panther of the Week. It was a huge, huge weekend. Uh, for all the Pitt teams. And uh, as, as I'm recording this, Pitt men's soccer defeated Penn State. So a big win for the Panthers. And uh, just a, a great time to be a Pitt fan in all sports. Not just football, but men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball. They are all doing phenomenally well. This is the season when Pitt thrives. And so now's the time to be paying attention. So the athletic department, Heather like Panther of the Week. That is it for this episode uh, of Unscripted. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Cardiac Hill and uh, subscribe. And then when the episode drops, you will get it right to your phone. Uh, If you're listening on Apple, please uh, rate and leave a review. Uh, And As always, keep checking out CardiacHill.com for all the great pit content. Uh, We will be back next week. Again, these episodes will be dropping Tuesday morning. So we'll be back next week. After the Pitt uh, Western Michigan game, I'm excited for this one because I will be going to the game. Uh, It will be the first Pitt game I have attended since uh, the pandemic. Uh, So it'll be really fun to be able to be back in Pittsburgh, uh, back at Heinz Field, back at a uh, Pitt football game. And uh, yeah, I'll talk about the experience back uh, next week. So hope you'll join us on Tuesday. Again, please subscribe. And uh, until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.